All right. Welcome back to RUF. And it is hard to believe that after tonight, we've got two large groups. Can you believe that? Uh, after we come back from Thanksgiving, we will have our Christmas party on Wednesday night. I think it's the 30th, but you'll have more information coming on that. But um, we're going to continue tonight our study through the Gospel of Mark. If you have your handout, you can find the scripture printed for you there. If you have your Bible, turn with me. Mark chapter 10. I'm going to be looking at verses 17 through 27. As you're turning, I'll tell you a story that happened several years ago, uh, 1994. And it was in the Chicago Tribune, and it was about a man by the name of Marcio Del Silva. He was a love-struck Brazilian artist, and he was devastated at the recent ending of a four-year-old relationship with the love of his life. And in an, in an effort to win back uh, the affections of his former girlfriend's heart, he does the unthinkable. In an extreme act of devotion, Del Silva decides to walk on his knees nine miles to her house. And as he is walking uh, down the side of the road, he finds some car tires and he straps them around his knees. And it becomes a spectacle, as you can imagine, in this town. Uh, the news is all over it. People are passing by and, you know, traffic's backed up and they're rolling down their windows and they are cheering this man on in his love walk. And it took him 14 hours to go nine miles. And as you might imagine, he's totally exhausted. Knees are bloodied and bruised. And when he finally makes it to the 19-year-old love of, love of his life's house... She's not impressed. In fact, she heard that he was coming and she decided to leave so that she wouldn't have to face him. You see, obviously this woman was not impressed by this man's extreme devotion. She was not impressed by his love and attempts to win back her affections. Guess what? God is like that. God is like that. God is not impressed with our attempts to win His favor and His love. God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. He is not moved when we boast in our own righteousness. He is not moved when we boast in our own goodness. And so the question is, if, if our good deeds don't move God, don't move His heart, then what does? Well, that's the question that our passage answers for us tonight in Mark chapter 10. Follow along with me as I read Mark 10. Verses 17 through 27. This is God's holy and inspired word. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? 
Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these I've kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for the man had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult is it for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God? And the disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult is it to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. This is God's Word. Let me pray one more time for the Lord to be with us. Holy Spirit, come. Uh, We need you uh, tonight. I need you. And would you come and speak through me. uh, Speak your Word into our hearts. May you pierce us with this Word. May we leave leave here changed people. May we have ears to hear and hearts that are receptive to what you uh, want to say to us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you look at the passage, this story, it obviously had a huge impact on the disciples. And here's how we know. is This story is included in every one of the Gospel accounts except for the Gospel of John. And not only that, if you look at this passage, look at the passage we just read in Mark chapter 10. If you see verse 24, it's interesting. It says the disciples were amazed. Then again in verse 26, Mark makes a point to tell us that they were greatly astonished. He didn't have to add those words, but he did, and he's making a point, and it begs the question of this. What was so astonishing about Jesus' interaction with this wealthy young man that the gospel writers would want us to hear it so badly? So badly that they included it in three out of the four gospels. Simply put... The disciples heard Jesus saying that those that have it all together, those that are beautiful on the outside, aren't necessarily Christians. You see, the kingdom brings about a reversal of everything that we instinctively think about who's in and who's out with Jesus. You see, the disciples here were clearly taken with this man. He must have been so intimidating as he approached Jesus, so put together, so pious, so in control of his quiet times in prayer life, in devotional life, and yet Jesus sends him away. 
empty-handed. Friends, at the heart of the kingdom that Jesus is bringing is an all-out attack on self-sufficiency. What's interesting is if you look at verses 13 and 16, remember context, context, context. Look at verses 13 through 16 if you have your Bible. We see the story of Jesus and the young children. And Mark puts these stories right next to one another. Why? Because he wants to reveal the huge contrast that exists between the helpless, weak children and the arrogant, self-righteous, rich man. You see, the story of Jesus and the children isn't about the misunderstanding of the disciples. The point of that story is the helplessness and the weakness in which the children come to Jesus. And Jesus follows that story. Mark follows it with our story tonight. Jesus and the rich ruler. And he's further illustrating and pounding home to us that life with Jesus is about weakness. It's about brokenness, helplessness, not self-sufficiency. And because following Jesus is about helplessness, this passage shows us three ways that we should respond. We must repent of our goodness, release our idols, and thirdly and finally, we're going to see that we need to rest in His power. Let's look at number one, repent of our goodness. Look at, verses, uh, look at verse thir- uh, 17. And so the man comes up and says, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And in those, that one sentence, it, he reveals he has no clue who he's talking to. Why? Well, because what is Jesus' kingdom about? The words inherit and do imply a works righteousness that stand in contrast to what Jesus says about life with him being a gift. Life with him being received. Then look at verse 18. Jesus goes straight to the heart. And he exposes the rich man. He says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And what what that is saying is Jesus is like, listen, goodness and the standard of goodness is not what you think it is, rich man. It is what I say it is. It is what God says it is. And he points him to God as the standard and the source of all goodness. You see, the rich man thought his goodness was found in moral achievement. And he sees Jesus as being a good man, and he thinks he's a good man, and has done everything right, and so he's going to Jesus to say, hey, there's one more thing I need to know. How do I get eternal life? And Jesus says, okay, you want eternal life? Obey the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not murder. You know, he goes on through the commandments. And the rich man has the audacity and the arrogance to stand before the holy God of the universe and say, been there, done that, Jesus. All these things I've kept since I was a boy. The rich man is saying, I'm good enough. I've done it, Jesus. I've obeyed. I've earned eternal life. And his understanding of Christianity was strictly outward conformity. 
with no focus at all on the heart. See, oftentimes, careful obedience to all the rules in the Christian life is just another strategy for avoiding Jesus. Flannery O'Connor, in her book Wise Blood, wrote this about one of her characters. She said there was a deep, black, wordless conviction in him that the way to avoid Jesus was to avoid sin. You see, the rich ruler was avoiding Jesus with his goodness. He was using his goodness to cover up his need for a Savior. Could it be tonight that the things that you need to repent the most of, and by the word repent, I mean turn from, could it be that the things that you need to turn from the most tonight are the things that you like most about yourselves? What is it for you? Here's how you know and figure out what it is. When you let yourself down, when you blow it or disappoint yourself, or when you blow it big time and disappoint someone else, what do you do in order to make yourself feel acceptable again to God and to other people? What do you do? Here's what we often do to make ourselves feel acceptable again. We often have this internal dialogue, don't we, in our hearts that say, yeah, I know I messed up, but I'm really not all that bad. I mean, at least I don't blank. And whatever you fill in the blank with tonight is what you need to repent of. Some of you fill in the blank by saying, I'm not that bad, at least I'm nice. At least I don't lose my temper. At least I don't do this or that. And if this passage says anything, it says that those things are our biggest problem. You see, George Whitfield said that you're not really a Christian if you just repent of the bad things in your life. But a Christian is someone who also repents of the things that they're doing right. In other words, that a Christian is not someone who just repents when they blow it and mess up and do bad things, but a Christian is someone who also repents of their own goodness, of the things that they're looking to to justify themselves before a holy God. You see, we have to get to the place where we admit that when it comes to commending ourselves before God, that God says that our righteousness, even our best prayers, are nothing more than filthy rags in His sight. So how does that happen? How do we get to that place? Well, the only way we get to that place is when we look full on at the holiness of God. Because when we look at the holiness of God and look it square in the eyes... It empties us of all goodness. It empties us of looking to our own righteousness because when we see it, we run to Jesus and say, Jesus, you are my only hope. You are the only chance I've got to be right before God. And you are the only hope I have to be acceptable before Him. The first thing. Following Jesus means that we repent of our goodness. And secondly, re release our idols. Look at verse 21. 
<clears throat> Jesus knew the rich man hadn't kept the commandments. He knew it, and he says, okay, let's start with number one. Have no other gods before me. He tells him to go sell everything he's got. He tells him to get rid of his God. Tells him to sell his possessions and give them to the poor and come follow him. And we have to be careful here not to take this as a universal norm for all Christians to give everything away and follow him. Okay, that's not what Jesus is, is saying here. This is not a universal call for all Christians, but what Jesus is doing is he's taking it right to this man's specific situation. And if you look throughout the Bible, particularly the Gospels, Jesus goes right for the one thing in a person's life that is holding them back from following him wholeheartedly. Jesus goes right for the one thing in a person's life that they are white-knuckling and keeping to themselves. This man's idol was money. And Jesus goes right after it. And it's interesting, as you look at this passage, Jesus sees people differently than we do, doesn't he? Jesus sees past all of the, the outside exterior. And he goes right for the soul. Jesus sees past this nice, wealthy, rich, obedient man. And he sees a sinner who is on his way to hell because he has made money his God. And that's why he says in verse 21, Jesus looked at him and had compassion on him and loved him. You see, when Jesus looks at us, me included, here at Old Miss, he doesn't see people that have it all together. He sees people that are trying to convince themselves that they have enough and are enough. He sees people that are filled with anxiety and worry and wondering if they'll ever fit in and who are afraid to tell anyone about it. You see, Jesus, friends, wants to go after your heart. And he is going after tonight the one thing in your life that you are white-knuckling and holding on to him and, and holding on to for dear life. Jesus wants your idols, and he wants to smash them into a thousand pieces. Why? Because he loves you. And he is a jealous God who wants your whole heart, not just part of it. So what's the idol in your, in your life tonight that Jesus is putting his finger on? What's an idol? Well, an idol is anything that you're looking to outside of Jesus to make life work for you. An idol is anything that you're looking to outside of Jesus to help deliver you from the pain and the brokenness and the junk of a fallen, broken world. An idol is anything that you're looking to plug yourself into to make you feel alive. Here's a way you know what your idols are. Answer this question. And answer it honestly. What do you really believe, really, 
believe will make you happy? What do you really believe will give your life meaning? Could be approval. If you just get that approval from that certain person, maybe even a parent, then life will be good and your life will have meaning. It could be comfort. It could be image that your life only has meaning if you look a certain way. It could be success. Life only has meaning if you're making straight A's. And if you make anything less than an A, it totally devastates you. It could be wealth or pleasure or possessions or family, you name it. If whatever it is that we're looking to outside of Jesus for life, for meaning, that is an idol. And here's one of the ways that we find out something is an idol is what happens when that idol gets threatened or taken away from us. How do you respond? I had a friend have a friend a couple of years ago. He has a young son, young children like I do, and he gave his young son, a, it was around Easter time, he gave his young son a chocolate bunny uh, for Easter in his Easter basket, the classic chocolate bunny. And, you know, Easter brings with it lots of candy, and so his son had loaded up on candy all day. And so it came time to eat the chocolate bunny, and uh, his dad only gave him just like the ear, <laughs> you know, just part, part of the chocolate bunny. And when he did that, his son just came apart. You can, you can imagine. Uh, total meltdown. Gets angry, frustrated, runs back to his room, slams the door because he wanted the whole chocolate bunny. His fr- my, uh, my friend, his father, walks back into the room and says, Son, is it wrong to want the chocolate bunny? And his son put his head down and said, Yes, Daddy, it's wrong of me to want the chocolate bunny. I shouldn't, have, I shouldn't want that. And his dad said, No, it's not wrong for you to want the chocolate bunny. Because chocolate bunnies are good. <laughs> and chocolate bunnies are meant to be enjoyed. But what happens, son, when you want a good thing too much? And his son looked at him and said, I get ugly, Daddy. And my question for us, what are the things in our lives, what are the chocolate bunnies, if you will, that when they get taken away from us, cause us to get ugly? That will reveal your idols. You see, when our idols are threatened or taken away, we get frustrated and angry when we don't get the approval we want or we don't get um, the relationship that we always desired. We get frustrated, sad, it zaps us of joy, and we go away sad just like the rich ruler. You see, the rich ruler went away sad because he loved his possessions more than he loved life. And my question tonight is, what about you? What is God putting his finger on? Are you going to go away sad? Are you going to run and follow Jesus? You see, following Jesus means that we repent of our goodness. 
It means that we release our idol. It means that we release our idols and lastly, we rest in his power. Look at verses 24 and 25. Jesus says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. There's been a lot of ink spilled on that verse, pages and pages, but here's what Jesus is saying. It's just a simple illustration that Jesus is making to demonstrate that it is impossible for the rich man to gain eternal life on his own strength. Look at how the disciples respond in verse 26. They heard this and they say, who then can be saved? You see, the the disciples thought, wait a minute. Back then, riches meant that you had favor with God. That you were doing something right because you had been blessed by him. So they're thinking, this man has wealth. He has it all together and he's excluded from the kingdom. How in the world are we ever going to get in? Who then can be saved? And that is just the question that Jesus had been wanting them to ask the entire time. Look at verse 27. Jesus says, What is impossible with men is possible with God. Jesus responds by saying, It is impossible for anyone, rich, poor, whatever, to save themselves and to rescue themselves from their own sin and brokenness. Jesus is saying this, unless God does it all, then you and I don't have a prayer. Unless God is the author of our salvation, unless the Holy Spirit comes and applies that salvation, you and I don't have a chance. And that is why Jesus makes it very clear that entering the kingdom, you know, the, the man comes and says, what can I do to get eternal life? That's the question we should all be asking, right? That is the question of life. And Jesus says, it doesn't matter how much money you have. And it doesn't matter how righteous you are. You want to follow me and enter my kingdom and have eternal life? Become like a child. Look at verse 15. He ties it all together. He says, I tell you the truth. No one will receive the kingdom unless they receive it and enter it like these children. What do children do? I've got young children. They receive. They do nothing. I've got a five-week-old. She's helpless. We do everything for her. That is what God is saying it's like if you want to follow him and have eternal life. The Christian life, friends, is about helplessness. It's about brokenness. It's about weakness. It's about giving up hope in everything else but Jesus. And if helplessness is not the theme of your life tonight, then you're in big trouble. You see, unfortunately, You know, I haven't been here that long, but I've been here long enough to know that this community, Ole Miss, is tailor-made to keep you out of the kingdom of God and away from Jesus. How do I know? Well, because life here is about having it all together. Life here is not about helplessness. It's about self-sufficiency. Life here is not about being last. 
It's about being first. And the problem is Jesus says that it's totally contrary to the kingdom of God. You know, the tragedy here in this story is that the man walks away from Jesus. He wanted eternal life. That was his question. And eternal life was staring him right square in the eyes and he walks away. Eternal life is staring us right square in the eyes tonight through the person of Jesus Christ. And the question is, will you walk away sad like the rich man? Or will you come and run with all that you've got and fall at his feet and embrace Jesus? Think about that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us enough to tell us the truth. These are hard words. Hard words from Jesus in this passage. But we know that you're good and we know that you love us and you desire repentance in our lives and you desire us to be followers that don't... uh, cling to the things of the world, but followers that run hard after you. Father, I pray that tonight you would bring about true repentance in our hearts for how we cling to our own righteousness as a way to justify ourselves before you. Would you also pry the idols out of our hands and out of our hearts? Father, we need to be made new. I need to be made new. Father, come through your Holy Spirit and work. Don't leave us, let us leave here unchanged tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God, don't forget to stand. Uh, and as you stand, this last sermon is probably going to be to many of you all. Uh, we wanted to sing it, first of all, because it's beautiful and we'll see that, but also because uh, it contains uh, many of the elements.